I don't know about you, but now I'm in the Christmas spirit. Uh, I just am. My, my wife and my kids were away this weekend. I was home alone. I started wrapping Christmas presents. And then I saw this meme, and I thought this was brilliant. Uh, Christmas tip, wrap empty boxes and put them under the tree. And every time your child acts up, throw one in the fireplace. I'm totally doing that. That's brilliant. I love that. I'm going to have little angels for the next two weeks. Uh, <laughs> Here's what the word of God says in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring a good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Everybody say great joy. joy. Now this story, Luke 2, takes place in Bethlehem about 2,000 years ago. Uh, You've got shepherds watching their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord shows up. And apparently that's terrifying because the first words the angel says are, fear not. And then he tells them, I brought you good news that will cause great joy. Great joy for me is one of the things that marks this season. At least it should mark this season. We want to sing along. In fact, let's just just do a little sing along right now. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. That was pretty good. Joy to the world. Isn't that good? Y'all sound so pretty today. Uh, Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love singing Joy to the World. And it's an awesome song, but sometimes it feels like this time of year has less joy than it should. And I don't really know why that is. Maybe it's just unmet expectations. Maybe it's just because it's hectic, right? The lines are longer. Your patience gets thinner. Your waistline gets thicker. (laughs) The in-laws come over. It's the perfect recipe for disaster. And we need joy. What if we could find joy in the midst of the mess? That's the question of the day. And next week, we're talking about joy to the world. Joy to the world. If you have your Bible, turn with me to to Philippians. It's a book written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the first church he planted in Europe. And he had a deep love and affection for this church, obviously. He wants them to have joy no matter the circumstance. Now, in this short little book, it's only uh, four chapters. It's probably two pages in your Bible. You can read it in 12 to 15 minutes, the whole thing. But in this short little book, he says the word joy or rejoice 16 times. It's a very clear theme. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, the irony is this book, Philippians, is written while Paul's in prison. In fact, this group in your New Testament, the New Testament books are grouped together by types of book. They're not necessarily chronological. They're grouped by types, and they're, they're in a group of books called the prison epistles. So they're epistles or letters written by Paul from prison. So he's writing Philippians from a Roman jail cell. Now, when I say prison, I want to clarify, this is different than what you're probably thinking about when you think about prisons today. This Roman jail would have been underground, so there's absolutely no light. Paul would have been chained to a guard and they would rotate. So every eight hours or so, there'd be a new guard. They'd be chained to him for maximum security. And to top it all off, Paul is awaiting execution in the city of Rome any day now. Like any day they could summon him and say, it's, it's, it's time to die. However, I want you to notice how he starts the letter. Look at chapter one, verse three. He says, I thank God every time I remember you, church. <laughs> Let me start, stop right there and say, would that be how you would start the letter? 
Because it's not how I would start the letter, right? If I know I'm about to be killed and I'm chained to a guard and I'm, I'm just, it's just miserable and I'm writing to Christians, my first part of the letter would say, help! <laughs> Get me out of here! Pray for me! I'm chained to stinky jailer, man! Help me! Right? But that's not what he says. He says, I'm just so grateful. Thank God. It's human nature in those kind of situations to cry to complain, to have a bad attitude. And that's what we're going to learn today and next week is, is that you can have joy in the midst of your bad days. And all of us are going to have bad, di- bad days, by the way. All of us. You're watching at home, you're going to have a bad day. Everybody here, going to have a bad, bad days are inevitable. I heard somebody say, well, be positive, Pastor Reed. I'm positive you're going to have bad days. I'm just, they're just going to happen. It's part of life, Right? Paul says, I thank God because I'm sitting in jail remembering what a cool church you are and I just love you so much. I'm just remembering you. It goes on to say, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look at verse six. Being confident of this. In other words, if I'm confident in one thing, it's this. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's saying to this church, hey church, every dream you've ever had, every vision God has given you, it's going to happen in Jesus' name. And this is a guy who's saying this who has none of his dreams being fulfilled at the moment. He had a dream that he'd be preaching to thousands in Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome and to preach to Romans, to thousands in Romans on a stage. And he's not preaching to anybody. He's in prison. So how does he have this kind of attitude? That's the question of the day. Now, if you'll take this journey with me, you're going to learn that Paul had something better than happiness. He had joy. And I'm convinced most of us are honestly in the pursuit of happiness. We even make movies called The Pursuit of Happiness. But if we're honest, life isn't always happy. So how do we navigate that? You can have something that supersedes happiness. It's called joy. Now, let me give you the difference because some of you are like, that sounds like the same thing. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Jot these down if you're taking notes. The first is happiness is external. It's external. In other words, you're happy when things on the outside is great. So, so if, uh, if it's sunny outside, I'm having a good day. If it's raining outside, I'm having a bad day. If your happiness is dependent upon the weather, and you live in West Texas where our weather changes every 15 minutes, you're going to be a miserable person, right? You're not going to have a lot of happiness in your life. Now, joy is much different. Joy is internal. Joy is internal, meaning that it's not based on the conditions of the circumstances of the things going on around you. You have joy in the middle of the worst days, which by the way, Paul, Paul has the most right to be able to preach this to you. Some of you might be saying there and saying, read, read like, Just sit down, man. You have no idea what I'm going through. And that may be true. But Paul does. Paul has the most right to talk about this because Paul had a rough life. If you want to read about just some of his trials, go to 2 Corinthians 11 later this this afternoon. 2 Corinthians 11. You can read it. He lists all the things he went through. Five times he received the 39 lashes that Jesus received. Do you remember when Jesus was beaten uh, almost to death? Paul had that five times. They had a a rod that that they would beat him with. So he was recovering from his last lashing. He says, then I got shipwrecked. All of a sudden we're floating around and bam, the ship is going under. And he says, I spent a night and the day in, in the open sea and I'm floating around on the Mediterranean like a cork. 
36 to 48 hours cold, wondering if someone's going to intervene and save me. He finally crawls to safety on an island, freezing to death, builds a fire, and out of the woodpile, a snake jumps out and bite, bites him. Right? I mean, this guy's had it rough. He goes on to say, I was stoned. And I'm not talking about recreationally. I'm talking about with the rocks. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, at least you got a little relief. No, this is the hard kind. The kind that hurts. He's stoned and he just goes on and on and on and on of what he went through. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. Outwardly, externally, I'm wasting away. So everything on the external is bad, like the economy is bad, life is bad, my marriage is bad, my kids are bad, my job is bad, my weather's bad, everything's bad. Outwardly, I'm wasting away, yet inwardly, I've got a different dynamic going on. Listen, listen, listen. That's the hope I have for you, is that you can have an outward dynamic that's different from the inward dynamic. And you can have an inward dynamic that's different from your outward dynamic, because if those are the same dynamic, you're not going to have a lot of joy. It's going to be a really tough life for you. We're in trouble. He says, all that's going on inwardly, but I'm being renewed day by day. Look at this. For my light and momentary troubles. Light? Momentary? Really, that's not how I would describe what he has gone through. They, don't, they sound hard and long-lasting. And he goes, no, my light and momentary troubles. But because of what he's teaching us in this book of Philippians, he could call it that. He could call those things light and momentary. Snake-bitten, shipwrecked, stoned, beaten within an inch of his life. He goes, just light and momentary. He could say that. That's my hope for you. He says, my light and momentary troubles are achieving for me an eternal glory that outweighs this. Let me say it this way. Joy outweighs happiness. Joy outweighs happiness. I found something better. So he says, we fix our eyes, not on the external circumstances, not on the scene, but I'm going to focus on the unseen, the internal, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. That's the difference. Here's another difference I want you to see in joy and happiness. That is that happiness is based on circumstance. Happiness is based on circumstance. In fact, the word happiness, the hap part is Latin for circumstance or luck. So in other words, you're totally at the mercy of what happens. In fact, circumstance, the definition of circumstance is the circle you're standing in. That's the definition of circumstance. It's the circle you're standing in. Have you ever noticed there could be two different groups of people going through the exact same thing and they have two totally different responses? How is that possible? Right? They have the same circumstance, they're just a different reaction. It's because somebody decided to dwell in it and somebody else said, I'm not going to do that. I have a guy I try to encourage from time to time. To time. He's a glass half empty kind of guy. It, it, it just, that's just how he's wired. And I asked him recently, I said, hey man, how's, how's it going? And he goes, oh, pretty good under the circumstances. I said, what are you doing under there? <laughs> that, that's your problem, right? Listen to me. You don't have to stay in your circumstances because joy offers you something else. Joy is based on Christ. Joy is based on your relationship with Jesus. Jesus can change your life. And he wants to do two things for you. Now, some of you may be still exploring God and going, I, I kind of want to start this whole thing. And I, I don't know. He wants to do two things inside of everybody in the room. The first one he wants to do is he wants to do something supernatural. I cannot explain it. He just changes you. 
It happens. You take this journey and you're going to be shocked to see how supernaturally God just turns you into a brand new person. That happens. The other thing that happens is not supernatural. It's very much in the natural. Uh, There are things he wants to teach you. And that's part of what we call in the church discipleship. He says, I want to teach you some things. We're on this journey of learning some new things. In fact, in Philippians 4, 11, Paul says, I have learned. He goes, I've learned some things, guys. And that's what I'm trying to teach you in this book. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. Because happiness is in the circumstance. Joy is found in Christ. I just learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. That's part of his own discipleship. And here's the last one. I'm just giving you the difference between happiness and joy. He says happiness is based on chance. It's not up to you. It's not up to you. It's up to if you're lucky. It's up to if it's a good day. Joy, on the other hand, is by choice. And it's completely up to you. You got to be careful letting the things that you can't control, control you. Do not, listen to me again, do not let the things you cannot control, control you. Don't. Don't let the things you can't control, control you. In fact, truth be known, they're going to happen. If you're at the mercy of the things you cannot control, I'm just saying very plainly, there's another way. There's something else you can choose. The Bible gives you the choice uh, today. And by the way, when I say they're going to happen, we, we live in a cursed earth. Um, I had two funerals this week, both of whom passed long before they should have, honestly. We live among disease and pestilence and war and sickness and murder and hatred. It's all around us. And yet, in the middle of all that, there's a choice that we can make. It's called a joy choice. We can choose joy. Deuteronomy gives us this choice very clearly when it says, This day I'll call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you a choice, Colonial Hill. I'm setting before you a choice, life or death. You can choose blessing or curse. You can choose. Then it goes on to say, choose life. It's a choice. You choose joy. Circumstances happen. Happiness happens. But joy is a choice. Paul offers three things in Philippians 1. He goes, you want to know my secret? You you want to know why I'm smiling all the time in this jail cell? I'm going to share it with you. You can write these down. The the first thing Paul would say to you and to to me is he says, you got to stop asking why. You just got to stop. Stop it. Stop asking why. And that's so tempting, isn't it? To be in the middle of one of those situations and just go, why, God? Why? 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 You've got to stop asking that. For too many of us, we ask and we get stuck there. And trust me, I know this from uh, personal experience. 27 years ago, I'm standing in my front yard going, why? Why? And you can stay there as long as you want, but you're going to find out there's not a whole lot of answers to the why. In fact, truth be known, if you want to know why, it's because we live on earth where honestly, God never made you a promise this place would be perfect. He never promised you that. I think that's one of the greatest myths about God. Some people think he obligates himself to make sure you don't go through anything awful. He never promised that. You want to know what he promised? The promise is you're going to have bad days. Look at John 16. He says, I've told you this, th- these things. He says, I'm giving you a secret to peace because you're going to need peace. I'm going to give you a secret to peace. Here's how you have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Now, I've never seen anybody write that verse and stick it on the refrigerator. That's my favorite verse right there. I'm going to have trouble. It's coming. Never had that. That's my favorite. Never. It's in the Bible, though. It's a promise from Jesus himself. He goes, in this world, you're going to have trouble. God never promised you won't have trouble. 
But he says, but you can take heart because I've overcome the world. God never promised that you wouldn't have trouble, but he did promise that you'd be able to rise above that trouble. That's what he promised. So we're going to have bad days. But he goes, I'm going to help you overcome those bad days. That's why you need to know me because that's where peace is found. Paul knew that. He knew no matter what happened to him, there was always a way of escape. He goes on to say in Philippians 1.12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that look at this, what happened to me, all the stuff that happened to me, all the stuff that I talked about a minute ago, bad things happened to me, they're going to kill me tomorrow, I'm, I'm, I'm linked to a stinky jailer, all this stuff that's going on, what happened to me actually has served to advance the gospel. So in the middle of this whole situation, he refused to ask why. Listen, I've been pastoring a long time and I cannot tell you how many times that I've been asked that question by people that I love. Why? Why? Read why. I've asked why too. I, I hope there is a Q&A session in heaven because I got some whys for God. I'm right there with you. I've got some whys that have nothing to do with, with bad days. I've got some that are just kind of theological. I want to know if Adam and Eve had a belly button. I really want to know that, God. I just, I need to know that. I don't know why I do. I just need to know. I hope we get to meet the people in heaven. I know we'll get a chance to do that. And I want to find Noah. I'm going to find him. And I'm going to go up to him and say, Noah, thanks, man. You, you did a great thing. And you found favor in the eyes of God. You saved all the animals. But uh, you had those two mosquitoes. You could have, you know, and just ended a lot of suffering for all of us. Why didn't you, Noah? Why? Why? <laughs> I'm being silly. But, but you got to be careful with your whys. You can die in the why. You can die there. What do we do? What did Paul do? He said, I'm going to stop asking why. I'm going to start asking what. Lord, what are, you, what are you doing in all this? What's your purpose? What are you up to? What, what are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me? What, what, what? The question, listen to me, that question is where joy is found. That's where you begin to discover that God is up to something powerful, more powerful than what was, what was in your plans. In fact, you want to know what God was up to for the Apostle Paul. So he had all this stuff going on. And had he gotten out and preached to a lot of Romans, that might have been pretty powerful, but then we wouldn't have the book of Philippians today. In fact, he ends up writing a bunch of the Bible because his plans didn't work out. You have a book of Philippians in your hand today and, and, and a lot of the, in fact, no author has authored more books in the, in the Bible than Paul. So if it all worked out according to Paul's plans, we wouldn't have the Bible as it exists today. Paul didn't get to do what he thought he was called to do, and that's why our Bible is the Bible. Let me say it this way. He discovered new opportunities. Every one of your bad days is a new opportunity. Every one of them. And when you discover that, I promise you, you will discover joy. Pick it up in verse 13. He says, as a result of me being locked up, let me tell you what I did with this new opportunity. He says, it's now clear to the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. You know what he's saying? He says, since I didn't get to preach to thousands on some stage, I thought, well, I'm going to preach to you. You're chained to me, so I'm going to tell you about Jesus. And now everybody in the whole guard knows about Jesus because I just started talking. To, like, if I can't preach to thousands, I'm going to preach to you, bub. So you're here for eight hours. All right, I got eight hours of material. Let's go. And he starts preaching to him about Jesus. And then everybody started hearing about Jesus. He goes, hey, one of those guys, he's actually really close to getting saved. Paul had taken his lemons, and he said, I'm going to make lemonade with it. He just decides, you know what, I can't preach to a bunch of people, but I can preach right here. And now the whole palace guard and everybody else in here knows I'm in chains for Jesus. He's having the time of his life. 
And then he goes on, he says, and because of my chains, it's also encouraged the brothers and sisters. He says, they're more confident in the Lord now and, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so in other words, he says, now everybody's hearing what I'm doing and it's giving them more confidence and less fear. And so it's actually probably better that I'm in here because people are getting confidence and the gospel's being proclaimed. That's better than me being on some stage talking today. Look at that attitude. That's taking some sorry situations and saying, there's got to be something good in this. I read about an African king who was going hunting. And he had a really good friend who would always go with him, would go hunting with him. He did everything with him. And the friend was, was loading the gun. They were hunting and he was loading the gun. And the king shot the gun at some game and uh, his thumb blew off. And, uh, and the, the, his friend was always very optimistic. He was just, just a super optimist. He, goes, he would just say, that's good every time. That's good every time something happened. Oh, that's good. So he shoots his thumb off. He goes, that's good. He goes, no, this is awful. My thumb is gone. And he gets mad at his friend and he throws him in prison. Several years later, the king is out hunting again. And this time he gets captured by some cannibals. And they said, this is going to be our dinner. And so they take him and they tie him to a post. But cannibals are real superstitious. And they're not going to dispose of you unless you're whole. And because he had missed his, he lost his thumb, they let him go free. And so he leaves and he goes, wow, that was good. And he felt awful because for years his friend had rotted in prison. And so he goes back and he says, I want to release you from prison. And he tells him this story. And he goes, man, I, I got captured by some cannibals and they were going to dispose of me. And yet they saw I had no thumb and they were superstitious. And they said, we can't dispose of you if, if, if you're not whole. And so he said, it's good. And his friend goes, it's good. It's good. And he goes, but I feel awful, man. You've been rotting in prison the last few years. I'm so sorry. And he goes, it's good. It's good. He goes, how can you say it's good? He goes, because if I wasn't here, I would have been with you. <laughs> it's good. Mature disciples say in the middle of something that's difficult, there's got to be something good. Like there's got to be something good. I just, ah, I can't find my keys. I'm going to be late for work. There's got to be something good. Maybe I'm going to avoid an accident today. There's a, you're just always thinking, I'm going to find it. There's something good to be discovered here. Y'all getting anything out of this today? Okay. Y'all got to get this. One of the most beautiful, powerful verses in the Bible is Romans 8, 28, which says we know. And would you just underline that word know, just that you know. Can I just say I know? I'm not going to go into great detail, but I've been a follower for 30 years and I've had a lot of really hard things in my life. And some of you have had more than me, but I, I, I've, had, I've had enough to say that I know. I know, I know, I know. And there were days where I thought God had fallen asleep on me <laughs> and I'd pray and I was getting no response. And then I found out he knew what he was doing all along. I know. I know that in all things, God works for the good. Not in some things or most things or good things and bad things, in all things, in all things. In all, I know, I know in all things, God works for the good. Even in the thing that you're facing right now, in all things, I know, I know, I know. Let me say it this way. What you're going through right now, God can turn it around for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Amen. I know. Then Paul takes you to his last principle. He says, I'm going to stop asking why. I'm going to start asking what. What are you up to, God? And then I've just got to change what I'm looking at. I'm going to refocus on what really matters. 
That's a lie. I got to refocus. I got to re. What, well, what really matters? I can tell you what doesn't matter. Your closet being clean for your in-laws. It doesn't matter. Okay. Paul clues us in into what that might be. He'd received some letters. So there were some pastors in Philippi who were leading churches and they, were, they had bad motives. They were honestly just bad men. Some of them were talking bad about Paul's church. And some of the letters he received were just trying to stir Paul up and get him upset. And, and he refused to be upset because Paul had a different attitude. He says in verses 15 through 18, he says, It's true that some out there in Philippi are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Excuse me. And the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. He goes, they're just in it for the money. That's why they're doing what they're doing. Those guys aren't even pure hearted. And then he says, supposing that they can actually stir up trouble for me in our church while I'm stuck here in prison. And then he says this, but what does it matter? What does it matter? Translation, so what? Who cares? Like, yeah, some of these guys have bad motives. Yeah, some of these guys are doing it for the wrong reasons. They have the wrong motives. They're doing it for money. Who cares? What does it matter? And he goes on to say, actually, it doesn't matter because the most important thing is that even the guys who aren't preaching for the right motives, whether false motives or true motives, Christ is still being preached. He goes, that's what matters. I don't care why they're doing it. I'm just thankful they're doing it. I'm thankful Christ is getting preached. So let them preach for the wrong motives. If Christ is getting preached and people are getting saved, that's all that matters. And he finishes by saying, and because of this, you're not going to upset me. I'm going to rejoice. I've already rejoiced once. I'm going to rejoice now. I'm just going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice. He decided, you're, you're not going to let, you're, you're not going to get me down. I'm going to stay focused. I'm here to preach the gospel. And I'm just glad Christ is getting preached somewhere. I love that. I want you to know that bad days plagued Paul. This wasn't his only time in prison. His life was like this all the time. He was constantly wondering if he would live the next day. But Paul decided to have a different attitude. And say, Paul, we're going to lock you up again. That'd be great. That'd be great because there was this guy that was really close to coming to faith. And so if I get in there, maybe I can share my faith with him one more time. And then he's, he's in. He's in. And you know what? I'm really close to finishing Colossians. So if you get me back in there, then I can finish that. I'll put that in the Bible. All right? That'd be great. What do you say to a guy like that? All right. So if locking you up doesn't work, then we'll just kill you. Oh, wouldn't you? That'd be awesome. Because I got this really big dilemma. In fact, he talks about the dilemma in verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So like, I have this dilemma, guys. Like, If you have me here, I'm going to talk about Christ. If you put me in jail, I'm going to talk about Christ. Anywhere you're around me, I'm just going to preach Christ. But if I die, that's actually a good thing. That actually benefits me because then I'm with him again. And I get to spend eternity with Jesus. And so it's actually a better thing if you kill me. So if you kill me, just end my dilemma. That'd be really great, guys. How do you hurt a person like that? You can't. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do to a person that has that kind of attitude. And you go, you know what? If I live, you're going to get Christ. If you kill me, <laughs> I'm with Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. There's nothing you can do. There's no circumstance that can change that kind of person when you have that kind of attitude. I want to tell you about a good friend of mine. Some of you might have known him. His name was John Harden. John lived in Snyder a long time. John and I were buddies. John was older than me, but he and I just clicked. He was the fuel manager at United Supermarkets for years. And um, 
John and I would talk football. We had that in common, and uh, we'd have long conversations. And uh, even when I left here to go to Austin, he and I kept in touch. John contracted a pretty aggressive form of cancer. And while we were in Austin, my kids and I just went to war for him, my wife. We pray every night together as a family, and we prayed for John Harden. God, heal him. The doctor said there's no possible way. Heal him. Doctors are saying one thing. I, I said, I don't care what the doctor said. I just care what the great physician says. Heal him. And I was praying big prayers, even though the greatest medical minds working on him did not give him much hope. I had the hope of Christ. And I was praying a big prayer because I really wanted to influence my son to say, let's see what God can do. And so we prayed and we prayed and we went to war for John. And then his cancer went into remission. And he got healed. And we celebrated and we high-fived and we gave glory to God. We said, God is so good. And then the cancer came back a second time years later. And we prayed, God save him. And he didn't get saved this time in the way that we wanted. He went to heaven. And uh, I know that because I led him to faith in the United parking lot sitting in my truck. And uh, I came home. I was in Austin. I came home and I did his memorial service. And my sweet friend Mary is watching. Um, I love you, Mary, very much. I loved your husband. Um, but it was that day that I got revelation on this whole thing. Because I prayed, I said, God save him, and he did. And then the second time I prayed, God save him. And he didn't save him the way I wanted to save him, but he saved him because he's in heaven. And I promise you, John don't want to be here anymore. When you know Christ, write this down. You're in a win-win situation. And that's why no devil in hell can rob you of your joy. I celebrated when he was healed and I celebrated when he went to heaven. Amen, everybody? Amen. It's a win-win. Like there's nothing you can do. Y'all getting that? That's joy. That's joy. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. Just humor me. Some of you don't know Christ. You don't, you don't know him. You're not close to him. And the most important decision of your life is not joining a church. That's important. It's just not the most important. The most important is knowing Christ. You got to know him. You say, Reed, how do I know if I know him? You're close. You're close. If, if right now you'd say, man, that does not characterize my relationship with Jesus or with God. In fact, God feels a mile away. In fact, when I pray, it feels like I'm hitting a ceiling like you talked about. There's a barrier there. Well, that could be sin. In Ephesians, it talks about sin as a barrier between you and God. And Jesus came to destroy the barrier. That's what Jesus came to do. So you and God could be close again. Salvation is when you and God are close again because the sin has been destroyed by Jesus. Now, if you need that today, that's how we're going to get close to our, that's how we're going to close our service today. I'm going to pray for you 
if you need to know him. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm asking you to know him, to get close to God. If you need your sins forgiven, if you need to get close to God, and, and you're just one heartfelt prayer away from that barrier being destroyed by Jesus. So if you want to be included in that prayer, I just want you to raise your hand. Uh, again, nobody's looking around. Everybody's eyes are closed. I just want to know who I'm praying for. So if you say, Reed, pray for me. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up right now so I know who I'm praying for? Awesome. Would you pray this with me? Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for going my own way. I'm sorry when I fall short of the standard you want for my life. I want you to forgive me of that, which I know you did through the cross. I want you to come in my life and lead it. Be the Lord of it. Be my savior today. Be my Lord today. You're in the driver's seat from this day forward. And then just tell him you love him right there where you're at. Just say, I love you, Jesus, in your own way. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Can you do me a favor and just give a warm round of applause for all of those who put their faith in Jesus here in the building and watching online? Come on. We're honored. That's an awesome thing. What a great gift this season. Hey, uh, do me a favor. I'm a pastor. I want to help you take your next step. Pastor Josh talked about that earlier. I want to help you. I need to know that you made the decision, okay? It was a very private decision, but I want you to make it public at least with me, okay? So I need you to fill out a connection card on the pew back in front of you to select, I'm committing my life to Christ today. Or you can text the number on the screen. Just text the word SAVED to the number behind me, 325-221-3001. That's what you can do if you're watching at home or online, uh, 325-221-3001. Just text the word SAVED. That gets back to me, and I will follow up with you with some next steps today.